This is Paradoxical, a podcast about the psychology behind big success in small business. I'm your host, Steve McCready, and today I'm joined by Mary Jenner from The Butterfly Pig. The Butterfly Pig is a really cool, unique business. They make 3D printed models of medical devices that are doll sized with the idea that there's something that can be used to help children who are going to be undergoing medical procedures understand the procedures, how they work, and what the different devices are and what they do. Part of what made this fun is I got to do it in person. Mary's here in the Sacramento area, and so I was able to go to the Butterfly Pigs facility and to see everything in production, uh, to see just how they how it all comes together and talk to Mary there. So that was really fun and something I enjoyed and appreciated getting to do. Mary, one, thanks for, for having me here specifically, but also for being a guest on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm glad to have a place finally where we can do stuff like this. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about how the business has evolved and gotten to that specific point. But let's start with this. So tell me about your business, what it is, and then your background that led to you deciding to create the Butterfly Pig. Yeah, so the Butterfly Pig, we specialize in making doll-sized medical devices. So it's toys that kids can use in the hospital or at home to help with understanding medical procedures they're going through or loved ones are going through. So it started because I'm a nurse and my history is I started nursing in pediatric oncology. Mm -hmm. So where this whole idea kind of came to fruition was when I was working on the floor, I found that kids were so much more relaxed when I was able to demonstrate what I was about to do to them on a stuffed animal first. So I'd put IVs in their dolls or stuffed animals. And then that kind of brought forth the idea that you know, kids learn through play. So we, they really need a way to process what's going on in the medical field through play. So that is really how it happened. <laughs> so we have like over 50 devices and more counting. So it makes a lot of sense, certainly as anyone who has in their history some, you know, I, I, trauma would be too strong a word for some, maybe not for others, but has that experience of having some, some procedure or something like I always remember this. I broke a finger uh, when I was a kid and I had to have like a, a cast. And I remember when they were going to cut it off, they like bring in this saw and I'm like, well, what the, you know, it because no one had explained to me how it works and what it is. So it's, it's a wonderful idea, and I can see how it would be just really valuable for these kids who are undergoing these these things that, that are not in and of themselves scary, but they're scary if you don't know. Right. And so it's really to facilitate understanding and comfort and familiarity with them, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And there are – we're lucky to have a lot of hospitals that have child life departments now that kind of help with the journey of a child going through something. And I've connected a lot with the child life community, and I hear all the time that they try to make these things at home out of different craft materials so they can demonstrate and help ease, you know, child's fears about those types of procedures. But it also it enables parents to be involved in that because, unfortunately, not every provider has a great bedside manner. So this way parents can be more proactive about their child's medical care. If they know they're going to get a procedure, they can get the toy and help teach about it too, just to prepare them. Because you don't know how it's going to be once you get there. And if you're going to have that child life specialist or somebody to help guide your child through the procedure. Why do you think it is that nobody has done this before? 
because there's not money in it. <laughs> Honestly, I think that is it because we're I'm in a unique position where I have the nursing background to understand the devices. And I started doing the CAD designing myself, teaching myself that, but now I have my dad helping me and he's a previous engineer. So really it's to have him design something doesn't cost a ton of money because he's my dad and he'll like help out with that. Whereas other companies, they'd have to pay for each individual design. They'd pay for injection molding to get the products made, which is thousands of dollars. Whereas we're 3D printing every device. So we design something and then we'll print it on the 3D printer and it really, it costs nothing but time for us. Mm -hmm. So that's really what makes it possible because it, we can design something and print it. And it, even if only one kid uses it, at least they'll get that. So this, this is an area where technological advances have really made this a lot more viable because you don't have the same issue as you pointed out. It's like same thing with even something as simple as t-shirts mm -hmm. where, you know, historically making one silkscreen t-shirt, it doesn't cost that much less than making 50 because it's actually the making of the screen. Yeah. So the, the 3d printing technology is a thing that really has allowed you to be able to do this and produce it pretty much whatever volume you need to, whether it's one or a hundred. Right. And in a normal toy company, they have to know the demand is there before they produce the toy. Whereas we get one request for an item and we'll make it. And you don't know if it's going to be a hit or not. We have some that we made and sold two of them. And then we have others that we made and sold 200. So it's like you really don't know until you make it. And that's what's great about this is we can still bring representation to more kids without having to worry about, oh, how much is this going to cost designing and making this? Right. Now, at the same time, you still had to have the thought of like, okay, because I mean, your background, you said you're a nurse yeah. by training and by profession. And there's a very you know important and specialized set of skills there, but they don't tend to involve things like, oh, I don't know, CAD design. Right. <laughs> so, so tell me about for you, like what it was that led to you going, okay, this is a need. And this is something that's, I think, mm -hmm. means enough to me that I will go, I'm going to go to develop some skills. I'm going to go play with this because like, it's obvious that that was, it was pretty compelling to you. Yeah. It, it was kind of a series of things that happened that led me to it. It was mid pandemic and I was on maternity leave. So I was spending a lot of time at home and I was in a few different mom groups and newly having a baby, I was starting to get more passionate about like representation and, and being there more for kids and how we could improve like all kids' lives really. And so it was in one of the mom groups that somebody asked if anybody could design a cochlear implant out of clay for their daughter to match her doll. And I've had a history of just like making mini cakes and things out of clay. So I had all the stuff. So I offered to do it. I made it. She loved it. She told her friends. They started sending in requests. So it kind of just fell on my lap because all of a sudden I'm making all of these designs out of clay. And I was like, you know what? This is where I can bring in my past, my history with the putting IVs and stuffed animals and whatnot, and I can expand on it. So I started to offer more things. I got way too many requests and I was could not keep up with the demand. So then that's when I started looking into 3D printing. 
And so I'm thankful to have friends that are engineers too. They told me about what software I could get for free to start toying around with it. So I got the free software and I was actually sending it to a company to print the devices for me. But to print one device, the company was charging six to $10 per item. So that was really expensive, especially when we when we make something, we design it, we'll print it, and then we'll get it back. We'll make changes. So it was just not working. So I ended up investing in a 3D printer, and it just kind of went off from there. So it was a series of events, and it just happened. <laughs> How has that been for you taking on these these new skills and these new challenges? Because it is a lot of a lot of learning. Yeah that's gone into this that again is different from it's not that there are not very technical aspects to nursing but it's still a different sort of it so I'm curious how that experience has been for you I've heard before people use the expression like I have like the how hard could it be gene so like it's good in some aspects (laughs) Um, it's led to problems in others like trying to make my own kitchen table which is now a backyard uh, picnic table. (laughs) So I think that with that, I've always been willing to try something. So I I find it to be fun to try to learn new things. So for me, it was really exciting to learn how to build a website and, and kind of do everything on my own. So I, it wasn't until just recently I realized I should probably have an expert help me design the website because it still looks kind of amateur. So it's everything was, it's just been fun for me to try new things, honestly. That's all I could say. I know it's it's wildly different than nursing, but even when I chose nursing as my career path, I always knew that I wanted to do something creative on the side. So this is kind of a mesh of those two things. Tell me more about the the, the how hard could it be, Gene, as you've described it, which I think I, I totally get that because I've <laughs> I've encountered that with other founders, you know, who who do have that. And so, where does that come from? Is that something that uh, you think was kind of taught to you, modeled to you, that you've learned? Like, how has that evolved for you throughout your life? That absolutely is something I learned from my dad, who's sitting behind me. He also has the same gene, <laughs> so it's. I think it was because growing up, if something broke, it was, okay, well, let's just fix it. Or if there was something we needed to make, okay, let's just make it. So I I had a good role model on that. If there was something we wanted done, like how hard could it be? Let's just do it ourselves. So I think that's kind of where I learned that. And it's it's been fun. (laughs) Definitely lowers the bar for taking on challenges, I Mm -hmm. would imagine. How does it come into play when when it comes to dealing with the the challenges that go along with undertaking the challenges, right? Like mm-hmm. trying to learn 3D printing, which I, I have not undertaken that yet, but I know a number of people who have. And from what I gather, it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world at first. And yeah. so there's, you know, there's trial and error and stuff. And so for you, as you've been doing so much of that, I'm sure with one, learning these new tools and these technologies, but then actually the the designing of the products and the refining of them. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with the inevitable failures, mistakes, errors, and such, and keep going? I think if you look at a task ahead of time and think this many things could go wrong with it, you wouldn't do it. So I think I just go into it with the best thought about it and trying to be optimistic. Because I know when I got the 3D printer, it wasn't, oh, no, what am I going to do in all these different things occur that have problems that I've read about online. It was just, okay, let's just hope for the best. So I start my first print and, oh, it's not sticking to the bed. So I look up, so it's, I, it was something just, you kind of tackle the problems as they come. And so then 
even though I knew nothing about 3D printing, once you get the printer and you set it up, it you just realize one step at a time, how do I load the filament? And you learn that step and then you just kind of go from there. And then when a problem occurs, even now something will happen and we don't know how to fix it. So we'll have to look it up and <laughs> figure it out. And so it's, it's just really one step at a time. And it sounds like for you, you didn't say this explicitly, but it sounds like for you, there's also with that this not an expectation that it will be easy. There's like just the the awareness of there may be challenges, there may be problems. And so it's like when that comes up, it's like, eh, no big deal, whatever, let's go figure it out. Right. And that's like, I think it's all part of the journey because even having a website has probably been what's given me the most issues because I'm, I'm not great at IT stuff, but I've had to learn how to do different coding things and and that has probably been the most challenging. But the biggest problem is I just need to know when to delegate it to an expert because <laughs> with that thinking I can just do everything, I end up spending hours on something that could have taken an expert 20 minutes probably. So that is now I'm trying to get better at delegating different tasks and like having a website designer help me that type of thing. Cause that's, it's quite time consuming. <laughs> it, yeah, it absolutely can be even for something fairly, fairly basic and you've got actual e-commerce things and yeah. such going on yours. So <laughs> that makes sense. I think that is, that's one of the, you know, one of the eternal challenges for people as they're building businesses is finding that mix of Sure, especially early on, you've got to kind of do everything yourself, mm -hmm. but there comes a point where certain things, it doesn't make sense to do yourself. In fact, it's not really smart to do it yourself. Right. And for you with that sort of can do, I'll figure it out attitude, it does seem, I could see how that would be an area that might be a bit sticky yes. for you. And so that sounds like that's a, that's a skill you're kind of having to learn along the way here as you grow. Yeah. And even I like with doing the CAD designing, like I can do it myself. It takes me a while. And it's funny because I have some designs I did myself and now my engineer dad's helping me. He'll go in to the file to change something and he can tell which ones I've done because I've gone like a really roundabout way to get the design we needed, not as straightforward. So this, that's one area where he's doing the majority of the designing now because he's much better at it. Right. <laughs> and I have to accept that. <laughs> It sounds like you've got kind of the, the same approach I have to, where I've learned a lot of things from kind of just figuring it out as I go, but mm -hmm. it, it means that it's not necessarily always the most efficient route, even if it ends up getting to an, an effective solution. So, okay, well, so I want to go back to the, the evolution of the business here. So you start making things and there's interest and where was the point at which for you, it starts to become like, this may be like an actual viable business, number one, but then number two, like at what point was it like, this is, you know, something even bigger than that. Like, like, you know, this little thing I can do on the side, but like something that's really got some bigger possibility. Gosh. So when I first started doing the devices made out of clay, I was in a group for a certain type of doll that was getting really popular that was made in France. And it was a, a very like niche community. It's not really as big anymore. But at the time I thought, oh, I'll become a reseller of those dolls too. So I contacted the company and became a, a retailer for them. And so that's what kicked off the let me open a website in business. So it really started with the dolls. And there was this certain brand of doll with Down syndrome features the only company that was making a doll with Down syndrome features at the time, and they nobody else was carrying it in the U.S. And to get it over here, it was like $20 shipping per doll. And so I'm like, okay, that's probably why nobody else is carrying these. Right. So I wanted to bring them here. So I 
that's what started the business aspect of it. And then making the devices like the clay stuff was something I was just like offering kind of on the side. So it wasn't really that big. Once we got the 3D printers, then that's when the um, request started to kick up. And I always knew that there was potential for this because I wanted these devices like when I was in nursing, but I didn't know how I would be able to be able to scale it because I was working as a nurse. So I'm like, I have all this time working as a nurse, being a new mom, like where is my time for the business? So it just kind of was gradual. I was slowly devoting more and more time to it, having less of a life outside of work. And then it wasn't until April of this year My husband looked at me one night, I think I was complaining about my job, and he said, why don't you just quit and try this business thing full time? And I was like, okay. And I sent in my letter of resignation the next morning, and I hesitantly just started to do this full time, and it it really kicked off right away. As soon as I was able to devote more time to social media, getting the word out there through TikToks and stuff, then I was able to bring in more customers. But I think I honestly, when I was working as a nurse, I was like holding off from social media because I was, it was scary for me to think of getting an influx of orders because I had no time to fill them. It was really just intimidating, the idea of growing at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, cause there and there are, I think for any business, there are certain points where that scaling piece can be really challenging because if you don't create the space to be able to scale, you can get you know, inundated and overwhelmed and that can crush your business in its own yeah. way. But at the same time, if you create too much space and then you don't have the demand, you create a whole, a whole separate problem. Yes. But it sounds like here it was a thing where there really is a, a real demand for this. Relatedly brings up a question for me. You may or may not know the answer, Yeah. but how many, do you have any sense of how many like child surgical procedures are carried out on an annual basis, just Oof. even in the U.S.? Gosh, I do not know the answer to that. Working at the past hospitals that I have, I, gosh, there were, there's procedures in general. If you think about it, if a child is hospitalized, every single step of care they go through, all the lab draws and stuff, they could have a toy for every single one of those things. So that's what we're trying to represent is like the different central lines and whatnot. So if you were to add up all the different procedures, I'd be like, think it's millions a day, honestly. (laughs) So it's effectively like near, yeah, nearly, nearly infinite. And yet there is often such minimal information or Mm -hmm. education that goes on and such. So this is such a, I think an important need that you're, that you're attending to here. Tell me some about what you see with, with the kids who, you know, who get these devices and get a chance to see them and to get to, to understand them. How does that change the experience for them? Yeah, it's, I've gotten so much great feedback and been able to see firsthand that they, Gosh, it turns what is normally a scary procedure because of the unknown into something that the child now understands and is able to be more engaged in and kind of be their own advocate in a way. So I've had parents, of course, they say the child's just stoked to see the representation. So every child I've, I've heard, they or squealing and crying happy tears because they finally have a toy that kind of represents what they're going through. But more so, the children are just more engaged in their medical care because instead of a lot of, unfortunately, in the pediatric realm, a lot of it is just focused on, this is what's best for you. I'm just going to do it. You need to 
have this shot and it's just, they're unhappy the whole time. There's no, you're not taking the time to explain to them in a kid-friendly way what's going on. So these kids are finally understanding because they have something that they can understand. And they're even like teaching their parents or teaching other kids. Like they're just excited to show them like what they went through. It, It can be traumatizing for a lot of kids, the medical care they get. But now a lot of them don't have the words to explain what they went through, but now they have something they can show. Like they can actually teach their friends and family members about it. I I think about the importance and power of empathy and compassion and Mm -hmm. how much, how much it changes things for us psychologically when we're feeling heard and understood or like someone actually cares about our distress. Yes. You know, so I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this. Like, why do you think that the, the, the lack of maybe compassion that sometimes happens with Mm -hmm. these procedures or has, how did that like evolve? Why, why is there this kind of like, well, just, it is what it is. So we got to deal with it. I, unfortunately, I think it's probably a problem everywhere due to staffing and time because working on pediatric floors, when you have multiple patients, it is a lot of, you just have to get the task done. You give a med here, this person's due to, for their chemo to start. Like you're going from room to room really quickly And if they have a procedure, that's all timed. Everybody's in a rush. Like you have to get everything done. The only people that I've seen, unless you like, of course, a lot of pediatric nurses have adapted better to it, but um, the child life specialists are really, their whole job is to guide the child through the procedure. So a lot of hospitals don't have those. So then these kids are left kind of being rushed through and, the providers are so focused on providing the best medical care possible that they're kind of forgetting that these are kids and that you need to think about their mental health too. Mm -hmm. So I think if hospitals had more time and resources to, you know, sit down with kids with these toys, that they would. I think that that's where I've had a lot of parents come and get the toys because now that these toys are available, then the parents can be more proactive in helping prepare their child for a procedure they're going to have. We've had many child life specialists who are now purchasing them too. So at least those providers will be equipped with these toys now as well. Which leads to a question I was going to ask is, who are your customers? It sounds like it's a combination of professionals and parents, but tell me more about like the different populations who, yeah, who are interested in these products. I would say it started with parents. That's kind of where I got my audience was from Facebook and like the mom groups. So the majority of the orders I would say are parents, but they do like the little orders here and there. And then I get, I would say maybe 20% of the orders are from hospitals. Or there's like hospice agencies, there's independent child life specialists um, and doctor's offices too. So there there are other professionals who are ordering it as well um, and teachers. If they have a kid that has a certain medical condition, then the teachers are getting the devices to help educate the rest of the class about it. Oh, so, that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So there, it's really doing a thing that's, that's starting to provide even more of a community component to it oh, where yeah. it's able to help other kids and just to help the population as a whole be more, more aware of these things. Yeah. It's been a lot of that where it's neat because you get to see people kind of thinking out of the box in ways that they can be more inclusive of others in their community. 
That's great. Now, how has, I know you said a little bit on this, but tell me more about how you go about making the decision to develop any of your designs and products and how that process kind of goes and evolves. We do have like, probably have a queue of 30 to 40 different requests that we have right now. And we never delete a request. So even if something doesn't seem possible at the moment, we know it will be later. So we have all these things in the queue and it's really a combination of things. If there's an urgent need, like I just got a message that a, a child was in an accident and has a device that we don't have yet. So we're pushing that one to the top of the list. So if there's an urgent need, then we'll try to make that sooner. And if there's, I would say it's more so looking at the design and seeing if it's stuff that materials that we already have. And so we could easily put it out there and make this design, then that's the next thing. So like the next device we're making has like the same tubing that another one of our devices has. So it kind of makes it easier because we already have all the supplies here. <laughs> now, as over time, have you found that with some of the devices that you've made and such that you've uh, changed them, adjusted them, added things to them? Oh, yeah. um, okay, tell me about that. <laughs> like, it's, it's constantly evolving. So... Like, for example, our the ventilator we had had a corrugated white tubing that was pretty stiff, and we got some feedback. It was hard to manipulate, and we completely agreed, but there was nothing else we could find out there. So we ended up having some white pop tubes made. Um, so we got a big shipment of those finally. So we have white pop tubes that we're using, so it's more fun and it's more flexible. So any design that had the previous corrugated tubing now gets the fun white pop tube. And we get our products tested, like the safety testing too. So if those ever come back saying something was weak or it could break easily, then we redesign that as well. So everything is constantly getting improved upon, really. How does that piece, the, the you know, wanting to make sure that the devices are safe? Because again, mm -hmm. some of these things, I would imagine, once you take these devices and shrink them down, there may be some small parts or other oh, things yeah. on there. So how much time does that take in the development process of making sure that it is safe, that there's not things that someone's going to choke on and that kind of thing? Most of our stuff we have labeled as choking hazards anyways, because sure. we the way that they do toy guidelines, none of our toys are actually catered towards anybody under three anyways, because they wouldn't have the understanding for it. But that with the CPSC, I think it's Children's Product Safety Commission is the <laughs> name of it. As long as you make under 7,000 units of one thing a year, you're considered a small batch manufacturer. So it, if you get the materials that say from the manufacturer of the materials, if they say they're safe, then you technically don't have to get them tested for the material content. But just to be extra careful, we're going ahead and still proceeding with testing, even though we don't have to yet. Mm -hmm. so, so there's that component of it, and that's in terms of material. And then safety-wise, there's like an American Standards for Toy Manufacturing Guide that's like a thousand pages long. And so anytime that we design something, we have to keep that in mind because they have very specific things. Like if there's a hinge, you don't want it to close on a hand or specific things in terms of how it's made, you need to make sure it's safe. So we just have to resort to that when we're designing stuff. Right. So that's 
it sounds like that's more of a thing you have to kind of keep in mind and consider. Has right. it has it caused any significant problems in designing any of your products or getting anything in production? Um, thankfully not. I would say it's more so right now because anything's possible to make. But like for us to make the wheelchair, we designed a wheelchair, but it's not on the site right now because we have to get the wheels tested because you want to make sure stuff doesn't get caught in it or whatnot. So in terms of like getting it out on the site, sometimes there is a, a stall if we have to get something tested or whatnot. So of all the, the products that you've um, designed so far, which one is your favorite if you have one mm. and why? I mean, I get I'm asking to <laughs> take something very yeah. specific and it might be one of those. It's like all my children are my favorites, yeah. which I get. <laughs> but but or, you know, ones that are particularly that you were particularly proud of or particularly, you know, got you excited when you made them. So I personally like the stuff that's most interactive. So it's funny you mentioned earlier that you had a cast. And so our cast saw is probably one of my favorites um, because it has a little wheel that turns and makes sound. So it helps kind of desensitize to the loud cast noise. And then we have little casts that go on. And if you put the blade in the slot, it pops open like a real cast would. Okay, yeah. So that's probably my favorite because it's the most fun. And my daughter, she was having fun taking casts off her dolls too. So <laughs> it's it that one's probably my favorite. Well, I love that because it's like really just allows them to get and understand the experience mm-hmm. in such a visceral sort of fashion. Right. And that's that's really cool. So yeah. what what percentage of your product designs come from requests versus you thinking of them versus any other other means? A hundred percent come from requests. Okay. So even though I'll have ideas, if something doesn't if nobody's requested it, I'll wait until it's requested. Just because there's people out there waiting for the designs they've requested. So I don't want to spend my time doing something I just think is fun. Right. So yeah, I would say 100% is requested. I would say 80% are parents requesting it. And then the other 20 is like child life specialists or hospitals requesting certain things. So the CASA was um, a Shriners child life specialist Uh requesting it. So, I mean, one of the great things I think about this approach is you have you have like a built-in demand assessment sort of yeah. thing here, right? Because you're like, well, we're just waiting until we get some some kind of request or you know mm-hmm. there's demand and interest for it. What percentage of your time would you say at this point you, is you working on product development versus production, mm-hmm. delivery, you know, and that, and that kind of thing? I would actually, now that we have a office space, which is very new, I would say I am more out of the picture. Mm -hmm. So when we first start a new design, me and my dad are talking about what it's going to look like. He'll go design something, bring it back. I'll tell him how I want him to change it. And we'll do a little bit of involvement there. And then I'll design the stickers and whatnot and, and make like the screens of the things. But now my dad and the other, we have a couple other people who are helping us work. They know how to print the stickers as well. So once we have it designed and ready to go, they can assemble it from there on out. So I do have help now. <laughs> so most of mine is is talking to customers and I would say packaging up orders and whatnot. 
so far, I know this is a thing that's just been going on since April for you. Have you noticed any sort of patterns evolving uh, yet for you? No patterns. I wish there was a pattern. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple of videos go viral, which you can't predict. And then I got an influx of orders and I mean, it's great, but like you can't predict it. So you never know when something's going to be great and everyone's going to want it. And I, I would say the only pattern is like, I do get more orders when I'm actively posting mm -hmm. and uh, engaging with followers. That is something I need to improve on. But <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it's a challenging thing to find. I would imagine the space for that when there's so much going on. I mean, you've got this big queue of products to design. There's yeah. plenty of production stuff going on. You know, I walked in for those listening. I walked in today, and they're they're busy. There's all kinds of stuff going on here. It's like it's definitely plenty active. Lots lots going on. So. Mm -hmm. So I could see see how that would be be a challenge, but it sounds like you're aware that that's something that would be helpful. Are you like as far as being able to, to scale goes as demand continues to increase? Have you figured out a plan for how you're going to to scale further? Do you what's going to happen there? Do you think? So we got this retail office space in September of this year, so just last month actually. But before we got this, I was doing everything but the designing myself, 100%. I was assembling everything, putting out all the orders, and scaling was next to impossible. So I knew once we got this space, I'd be able to hire somebody. <laughs> Long story short, I ended up hiring my mom because I didn't know she was looking for a part-time <laughs> job. So I now have my dad helping with the designing. I hired my mom and my sister-in-law and her sister as well. So I'm like slowly bringing on more people, I think that is ultimately how we are going to scale because the printers, they're pretty much running all day. So we can get more printers if we need, but the majority of what's limiting us from scaling any bigger is just the time in producing like social media content to get out there to more people, but also having the ability to package orders and get those bigger waves of orders out quickly. Now, do you have a sense of like how big you would like to see the business become or, or, or a limit on how big you would want it to get or anything like that? Yeah. What are your, your thoughts about what, you know, about the future there? I, you know, I don't have any, because I think it's part of being a, a business owner, you have to be flexible. Like I don't have any hard goals of where I want to get. I just, mm -hmm. I just want to be able to sustain at this point and grow however that may be. But I would say I would not want to be like acquired by Target or Walmart. <laughs> like that, like I, I want to keep it a business in it of itself because I'm afraid if it got acquired by a bigger company, then you'd lose the uniqueness of being able to make the devices kind of on demand and as requested. Because right now we're able to do a lot of customization and add new features to make things more like whatever child's device is. And I, I'd be afraid if we got too big like that, that we wouldn't be able to. Mm -hmm. But I think as long as we stay within our own company, then we'll be able to maintain that. But I, I have no idea what the future holds. <laughs> I'm 
in terms of how how big we're going to get or how big I want to get. I don't know. And and so related to that, I'm wondering if you have something as far as current problems or challenges that you're kind of wrestling with. I'm sure there's no no lack of them because it's you're in that that's space in a business where they're common. But I'm wondering if there's one in particular that's kind of on your mind that might be un, uh, fun for us to unpack and dig into and explore around a little bit. Yeah, I would say it would be how to get in front of the right audience. I was working with a marketing agency and they help with all the audience targeting on Facebook, but there's nothing to target like child life specialists or hospitals. Like that's just not a feature. So that's where I'm having a hard time is how to get in front of the right people. So how would you define the right people at this point? Let's start there. Um, we have two different sections of audiences. I would say we have the parent of a child with medical needs, and the provider or healthcare professional that works with pediatrics. So typically, I've seen it's child life specialists, but I have had some nurses and doctors make orders as well. So of those two broad categories, which one feels more challenging to you? I They're both challenging to target because I don't know how you could even target a, like a family with a child with medical needs because that that's very specific. So I think they're both really challenging to target. The only thing is with hospitals, I always have the option of like reaching out directly to hospitals. So that is the one thing that I could try to find my way into. So maybe the parents are more challenging then. So I just don't even know where I'd find them. So what sort of things with the the marketing work that you did, that you did do, what sort of ideas did they have or what sort of things you know, were suggested and then did you try? So they um, focused on the social media marketing for Facebook and Instagram. So it was more like, okay, we can't target that audience. Let's just focus on parents in general. So right now my ads are just focusing on parents in general, which it's still working, but you know, most parents don't want these toys or need them. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's like they'll, they're in that that's a, that basically is an example of a filter that is catching too much stuff. Yes. Right. Because it'll it'll catch the people you're trying to reach, but it'll also catch a whole bunch of people you're not. Yes. Okay. So it, so it sounds like you know this is really about trying to figure out how do we do a better job of identifying these people um, who are looking specifically for this, mm-hmm. and how do we help them be aware of us? Right. Right. Okay. So what else do you know about, I don't know if typical is even applicable here, but but a parent who has, right, a child in this situation, what are the sorts of things that they're doing as it relates to it? Are they, you know, are they, are they Googling? Are they going online? Are they talking to hospital? Like, where do they go to, yeah. to explore and, and talk about this topic? Yeah, they're, um, I think they're probably not even Googling toys. Some of them are. But mm-hmm. can then they'll find me. But I think most of the time they don't even know they exist. Right. So I don't think they're searching for them. But they probably, if they're lucky, they do have a child life department mm-hmm. in their hospital. And they're probably talking to them or other professionals. But that's the hard thing is I don't think people are really looking for these toys because they don't right. know they're there. <laughs> right. They don't even know that it's a thing. So they're, they're not looking for the toys. What are they looking for? That's good. Maybe... Maybe community, maybe other people going through the same thing. So I guess like Facebook groups or something. 
so one of the things that comes up for me here as I'm thinking about this is like, there's of course so many different ways of marketing and things that work in one situation really don't in another. Yeah. Right. I just, I just had a conversation recently with someone um, for the podcast who his business, he, he tried when he was getting it started to market on Instagram, but what he's selling is completely like it, to, it totally failed because it's just not the right kind of thing. Yeah. But one of the things we can do is sometimes if it's not an obvious, like an obvious market or people aren't searching specifically for the thing because they don't even know it exists, is we can start thinking about the question of who else or who do my people seek out yeah. by my people, I mean audience, before they would find us or when they need us, who else, like who's adjacent? Yeah. And like you're talking child life specialists. I'm thinking if there are websites that they go to to yeah. get information about these procedures, is it a thing where you can, you know, where there's those have advertising available or where those oh, have yeah. other sorts of partnerships available or other kinds of things. So it's starting to look at that thing. So when, yeah. you know, the other people can be aware of, hey, by the way, right, there's this. Yeah. Company, no, that's that a good sort point. Of a thing. Yeah, I didn't think about that because they, they would be Googling about the procedure itself. We'll have to see what top sites are on there. I'm assuming there are probably other medical centers and hospitals that put out their own information on the procedures, so I could contact them. Some hospitals have put me on their child life page, so... I'll have to see. Maybe the other hospitals would be open to that. <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. And I don't, I don't know because that's not an area specifically I, I have a lot of exposure to or experience, but I, I find myself just thinking we start looking at what is the journey that these parents are going through? Who do they talk to? Where do they look? What do they encounter? And yeah. how can either you position yourself where you're there or where the other people know about you and will say, hey, by the way, yeah, you know, in whether or not that's even a thing of if there are things that you can, uh, as just an example, and this may or may not be a thing that would speak to you is like for, but being able to talk about anxiety around medical procedures and give talks for people, right. As an adjacent thing, because that relates to oh, you yeah. know, what you're, what you're offering. Right. So I, I think one of the things that's happened, this is, this is my, I'm going to get on the soapbox for just a minute here, but yeah. one of the things that's happened about marketing in this day and age is we're so used to social media, social media, social media, mm -hmm. nothing against it. It works great for certain things and in certain situations, but I think it is not universal. Right. And it sometimes it falls shorter, has, it has its, its limits and we can get like away from some of the core principles here because yeah. the good news is you're providing a product that is valuable, it's unique, and there's a very specific identifiable set of people who need it. Right. It's just about being able to put yourself in connection with them so they're aware of what you're offering and how it can be helpful. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm going to have to think about how to do some, that. Some things to, in all your free time, some I things know, right? to look at or think about. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about up front, and I completely forgot, so I'm going to ask now. Tell us about the origin of the name, the butterfly pig, because it's like, it's like, wait a sec, what? So yeah, so explain that. That's, I know, I feel like the the origin story of the business is so convoluted and because so many things had to happen for it to become what it is today. But one of them is the name, and it's because... Before I ever even started this business stuff, I wrote a book called The Butterfly Pig. It's a pig with butterfly wings, and it's a message of inclusion and self-love. He's the only pig born with butterfly wings. So he goes on an adventure learning about how to love himself and, you know, for his the other pigs in his community to be inclusive of his differences. So I had this book written, and I hadn't done anything with it, but I really liked the idea of it. 
and wanted it to be a thing so I could read it to my daughter. So that was kind of around the time since I was on maternity leave when this business started. I'm like, I should name my company The Butterfly Pig after this book and I'll get it published and it'll be a thing because they both have messages of inclusion and self-love and embracing differences. So once I opened the business, then I got an illustrator and then went through with the publishing process. So now we finally have this children's book called The Butterfly Pig. It's out there. It is on the website as well. But for those that don't know, I guess it could be confusing why it's the name of <laughs> the business now. Gotcha. Okay. That's, no, that's, that's really cool. Any projects, plans, new things on the horizon that you're feeling particularly excited about at this point? We... Always have new designs in the works, and I'm always excited about those. Anytime we have a new thing, that's when you see me on social media, finally, because I'm excited to show everybody. So we do have a couple new designs in the works, like chest tubes we've been getting a lot of requests for. So that one we're working on. And um, we're going to try seeing about making a halo device too, which kind of helps with neck injuries. Mm -hmm. So we have those um, which are in the queue and otherwise, um, we're going to be on the news in a couple weeks, so <laughs> that's fun, but it's it's always exciting, and we're looking forward to everything. So so where is the best place, would you say, for folks to go to get kind of an introduction to the business, to your products, to, to what you're up to? Your website, social media, where do you think? I would say website's the best because it has everything on it. It has all the devices on our shop page, and you could read more about the story on the About Me page. And the homepage is, you know, just kind of goes over more of what we do. So that's the butterflypig.com. So yeah, definitely go there. And I know there's links to your your social media from there as well, and I'll include all of that in the, in the show notes. It's such cool and important work that you're doing. I, I really, really um, have, one, a lot of respect for it and a lot of admiration for your willingness to to take on this new challenge <laughs> and, you know, to tackle this creative thing, but doing something that's really of service to, to people who really can't even necessarily advocate for themselves, right. but have this, you know, this tremendous need and you're doing such powerful and important work, I think, in helping them to be able to deal with their fear and anxiety. I mean, the world's scary enough as it is. Yes. <laughs> so I, I really admire and respect what you're doing there oh, and, and want to thank you for doing that. But also thank you for, for taking the time to, because again, I know you've got plenty going on to, to sit down and talk with me about your business. Yeah, no, this has been awesome. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> 